You are listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Your Daily Drive is the podcast where I put my articles in an audio format so that you can listen on the run. Now, if you want to read any of our Your Daily Drive articles, you can go to our website, rickthomas.net. And you can read the article that you are listening to. I have a great question that was asked me, and I'm going to answer it in this podcast. An 18-year-old young lady wrote in and asked, I want to, I've been thinking about becoming a biblical counselor. I love the Lord and would like to serve him in some capacity. I also love the idea of counseling. What would you suggest for a person like me? I titled this podcast and the article on the website, 10 Things to Know If You Want to Be a Counselor. I would love for you to read it, love for you to share it, and if you are thinking about getting into high-end discipleship where you're meeting with people and this is what you do and you, you love helping people to untangle their problems and solve these riddles of life and delve into the mysteries that God is writing into the narrative of an individual's life, well, I commend you. I want you to think about it, and maybe this is something that you can do. And And if you're considering it, then I want you to read this article on our website, listen to this podcast. If you would like to talk to me about this or maybe something else that's going on with you, You can go to our website, our ministry page, rickthomas.net, and you can ask your questions. It is a fantastic resource. Now, we don't engage people on social media because we just, quite frankly, don't have the staff to be able to do that. But as I say, we never turn anyone away. And so if you have a critique, if you have a problem, if you have a problem with us, with this ministry, with me, please go on our forums and we would love to engage you there and we will not turn you away and we'll talk through it. But if you want to work through something, please, rickthomas.net. Public forums, they're free. Create your username and a password. If you are a supporting member of our site, Go to the private forums, and and I would recommend that you, you go to the sub-forum that says talk directly to Rick and his team. That way it'll just be us that will be chatting with you. Let me get into this podcast. 18-year-old lady is asking, she loves people, loves God, loves people, wants to help people, was thinking about getting into counseling. What would be my advice to her? Well, here are t- 10 things that I would share with her or anyone else. Number one, personal transformation. The question is fantastic. I'm glad you're asking. Let me begin by saying that earning a biblical counseling, I'm going to call that BC, biblical counseling, a BC degree, was probably the most transformative thing that ever happened to me outside of regeneration, obviously, and and personal tragedy. Paul said in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe, 
salvation, but also suffer for his sake. Those are the two primary transformative tools that God provides for his children to make them mature, grow up into Christ's likeness. And so number one, as far as transformation is concerned, is always salvation. Number two is suffering as God works in that salvation through personal suffering. Those are the two ways that we transform the best. But then outside of 1A and 1B, there is number two, which is my BC training, my biblical counseling training. It was fantastic. Now, if it were possible, though I know it's not practical, I would recommend that all Christians pursue a biblical counseling degree irrespective of their vocational pursuits. One of the reasons we offer our two-year training program through the internet is so people can benefit from this kind of academic, rigorous training while working in the geographic location the Lord has placed them. We live in a remarkable age the redemptive use of technology that you can immerse yourself in a high-octane trans- uh, sanctification course, which is what biblical counseling training can be, and it will not only revolutionary uh, revolutionize your life, but it will benefit those who matter the most to you, and you can do that through our training, which I do recommend especially if travel is not an option. And that's one of the blessings about the redemptive use of technology because we do live in this time where we can do this in cyberspace because a lot of individuals are are past the college age when they begin to think about maybe a degree like this. Now, you're 18, so you can probably go, I would imagine, anywhere that you want to go and you can get the training that you need. But regardless, if it's possible for anyone, any Christian, then I do recommend this kind of training. Now, I realize that this person is not married at this point, but if marriage and children are in your future, your training will be immeasurably beneficial to them. It has been one of my highest joys in life to be able to apply what I have learned in biblical counseling to myself first, to my wife, to my children. And so earning a BC degree can position you to be an effective discipler within your family, within your friends, your friend group, and within your local church. So number one is personal transformation. Number two is theological training. With all of that said, biblical counseling training operates from the assumption that you already have substantial theological training. If the counseling is biblical, it pulls from the Bible. It pulls from theology. The implication is clear. The more robust your theological foundation, the more substantial will be your application of theology. Application of theology is what we call biblical counseling. I have a infographic here in this uh, in this article, and it illustrates the importance of sound theology. I call this the theological pyramid. 
And you will notice in this visual, I'll just tell you about it, that practical theology or biblical counseling and the exportation of it is at the top of a theological pyramid. Everything under practical theology speaks to the essentialness of theology. Your more critical training degree should be theology. If I only had one choice between a counseling degree and a theology degree, I would pursue a theology degree. Now, before I received my MA in biblical counseling, I received two undergraduate degrees, one in theology and the other in Christian education. I am not saying you must have a theology degree. I am saying that you must have a theological foundation. Think of it this way. If you were standing beside an old-time well out in a well out in uh, outside, and you drop the bucket down in the bottom of that well, and you pull up the water, and then you drink the water, you're refreshing your soul. The water in the well, at the bottom of the well, that is theology. The application of theology, biblical counseling, discipleship, that's you drinking the water. If you want to be refreshed in the purest kind of a way, you have to have the purest kind of theology. If your theology is not sound and precise, you will not be good at biblical counseling. It's like becoming a math teacher without being trained in math. Knowing 2 plus 2 equals 4 will not cut it in a world where people demand and need more, where problems are complicated and intricate. Your theological education must go deeper than what you learned in Sunday school. The broader and more in-depth your theological training is, the better off you'll be able to speak to the situational difficulties of people's lives. You must not cut any corners on theological education, is what I'm saying. Even if it means eight to ten years of schooling, meaning you get a theology degree and then you get your biblical counseling degree. Because if you get your biblical counseling degree without a theology degree, your biblical counseling degree will not be as solid as it could be. We're doing soul work here. It's not a vocation for the ill-equipped. You must be theologically trained. And that's why we have a core component of our training, the theology, theological. We don't we don't cut corners on that. So number one, a counseling, doing counseling, a counseling degree is personal transformation. Number two, you must have theological training. Number three, breadwinner. Let's talk about it. You'll have to decide the amount of income you want to make, and you probably will not be able to support your family as a biblical counselor. Very few biblical counselor people, BC people, support their families financially with counseling as their only revenue stream unless they are working for a parachurch ministry or a local church where they receive a salary that they do not uh, generate from the counseling. Charging for counseling, which I have no problem with, but you again, you'll not be able to support your family if you're going to be the breadwinner. Now, you may not be the breadwinner, and it, it could just be something that, let's, let's say that someone else is bringing in the revenue, or you have revenue from some other source. 
But if you plan on supporting yourself through biblical counseling, it will be hard for that to happen. Our counseling income is less than 1% of our overall revenue. It doesn't even touch our expenses. It's, it's virtually a non-factor. Now, there are several reasons for this. The main one is that I do not counsel one-hour sessions. I've, I've never done this. I've never found this to be a useful model for soul care. I struggle with the whole idea of struggle might be too strong of a word, but I, I just don't care that much for the whole idea of biblical counseling in the first place because there are so many problems with it. I do see it as a subset of discipleship. But biblical counseling, I mean, it's essential for people to have enough time to share their stories, their hurts, their frustrations, their fears, and and a one-hour time slot's too rushed. It's why I counsel for two hours. The longest counseling session I've had went around seven hours. I don't do that normally, by the way. It just depends on their stamina. I have the stamina, but I'm not sure if another person has the stamina. But to do it in 55 minutes is, I just, to me, that's problematic to do soul care, especially if that is all that you are receiving. Now, this can easily circumvent the need to listen well if you do short counseling sessions. The downside to extended soul care time frame is you cannot provide for your family because you cannot see as many people as the one-hour time frame counselor. And so the one-hour person can trot people in and out like herding cattle, and you could possibly support your family with that. But from a conscience perspective, I'll never do that, God willing. We counsel two hours, but again, you can't counsel enough people to provide for your family. Another downside is you do not want to see a lot of people for the next 40 years because it's too draining on your soul. Counseling is hard work. If you met six to eight people a day, five days a week, for 30 or 40 years, the toll on your soul and your family would be dangerous, and I do not recommend it. I don't recommend that people counsel more than 12 to 15 hours a week, period, because of the drain on your soul. Let's say that you're counseling 14 hours a week. That's only seven people that you're meeting in a week's time if you're doing two-hour counseling sessions. And by the way, a two-hour counseling session is always three and a half because of what it takes to get Uh, before the counseling ever happens, and then after the counseling session. And so if you met seven people and the counseling, each one averages three and a half hours where you're talking 25 plus hours a week, you're not going to generate income that way, but you will take care of you. You'll have a better chance at taking care of your soul. What I'm saying is it's problematic if you want to be a breadwinner, number three. Number four, I'll talk about adulthood. One of the questions you'll have to answer is, what do you want to be doing when you are 35 years old? There are three likely possibilities for my 18-year-old lady friend here who's asking this question. You can become a full-time counselor. You can be a full-time wife and mom 
And number three, you can be a full-time wife, mom, and counselor. You have to factor this in. Unless God has called you to singleness, now you're free to do any one of these options from my view. None of them are wrong, but you will have to decide what you want to be after you mature into adulthood. And that's this point, point number four, adulthood. Now, I realize this is an unfair question for any 18-year-old. I didn't figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, grew up until I was 38 years old. I knew I wanted to serve the Lord, but I didn't know the exact track I would be on to fulfill that desire. And so don't feel any pressure from me. Now, if you happen to already know what you want to be when you grow up, you're in a beautiful place. But I do want you to think about the long game here. When you're 35 years old, 40 years old, where do you see yourself being? If you're going to be a full-time single counselor, that means one thing. If you're going to be a full-time wife and mom, that means another thing. If you're going to be a full-time wife and mom and counselor, that means something else. And again, I don't have a conscious issue with whatever you choose here, but I just want you to consider it. Number five, a non-biblical degree. I would not recommend for you to pursue a counseling degree that was not fully biblical. I'm talking about a secular training degree when I say non-biblical degree. The Bible has all we need for life and godliness. That is how it advertises itself, and I do not dispute its claim I wholeheartedly affirm its claim that the Bible has all we need. If I were going to spend time and money learning how to care for souls, I would want my soul care training to be as pure as possible. Nobody knows soul care like God. And there is no better book for you to master than the Bible. And so you have the creator of the soul, God himself, and what you're going to be doing is soul care. And you have the manual, God created it as well, to do soul care. The most effective thing you could do is drink deeply from his fountain. There are a lot of other cisterns in the counseling world, but the water that flows from them will never satisfy like being trained by the world's most profound psychology book which is the Bible, Psyche Lagos, the study of the soul. The Bible is a study in soul work. And so I would not recommend a non-biblical degree. Number six, I want to combine number three, breadwinner, money, and then number five, non-biblical degree. I'm going to fold them into number six here, and I call this money and a non-BC degree. It is true that you can make a living with a secular or integrated counseling degree because those degrees typically permit you to take insurance, where a BC degree usually does not allow you to take insurance because our culture does not see biblical counseling training as a viable option. We are, in their view, antagonistic, hostile. We are outside what they would call soul care. Now, this obstacle means BC counselees pay out of pocket or someone subsidizes the counseling like a local church. Again, if you're charging for Counseling. Now, if you're not charging for counseling and you're not using that to support your family, 
And again, I don't have an issue either way. I know some people really have a problem charging for counseling, but to me, that's a fallacious argument. But nevertheless, that's another podcast. But if you are charging for counseling, then somebody's paying out of pocket because you're not charging against insurance. And unless they can subsidize the counseling, like a local church paying for the counselee's counseling, uh, you do have to think about that. If the reason to get a non-BC degree is primarily to make money, then I would struggle with that direction. I had rather be a purist than a pragmatist. Matthew 6.33 teaches that we should seek the kingdom of God first, and he will meet all of our earthly needs. One of the things I have seen with many 40-year-olds, as a arbitrary number, who received secular counseling degrees in their 20s, is as they matured in the Lord, they began to perceive a disconnect between their past training and how they are currently counseling. They earned a secular counseling degree, but as they matured in God's word and as they learned how secular ideas do not bring biblical transformation, they realized they should have received biblical training. And many of these people who received secular degrees are so frustrated in their jobs and some of them re-enter BC programs to be trained biblically. And so you want to think about this idea. Am I doing it pragmatically because I can make money? I can charge industry standards because I'm using insurance? $250, $400 for a counseling session per session, and I'm counseling for 55 minutes? Yes, you can make money that way, but... Again, I'd rather be a purist than a pragmatist. Number seven, maturity matters. Good counselors are like good preachers in that they hit their stride in their mid-30s. If they are lucky, I put lucky in quotation marks so I don't get any nasty emails. Your more competent counselors evolve into their competency in their 40s. There's something about life experience that matters. Receiving a degree at 22 years old will give you all the answers to life because that's what a BC degree will do, but it will not give you the questions to life. The typical young person does not begin asking the right questions until they become an older person, and there's no way to circumvent this. You just have to mature in life experience. The reason is because they do not know what questions to ask. How could they? The perfect scenario that creates a mature and wise counselor is the merging of two worlds. One, they receive sound theological and biblical training. Number two, they receive long and in-depth life experience. And no matter what life experience you think you have, and as substantial as it may appear to be, you're not 35, you're not 45, and I promise you when you get to those numbers, you're going to look back and realize you didn't know nearly as much as you thought you did. There's a lot to be said about life experience. If my choices were a young biblical counselor or an older biblical counselor to help walk me through a significant life event, like having the sex talk with my child, on the surface, and with only these two pieces of information, I would choose the older person every time, or make it even more significant. My child died, 
I would choose a 45-year-old person to walk me through that event than a 22-year-old person, and I don't mean any disrespect about that at all. It's the same. We see this in youth pastors all the time. Youth pastors are great on the energy side, jumping through hoops and jumping off things and you know, eating weird stuff. But when it comes to walking a 50-year-old man and wife through the death of their child, well, that's a whole nother ball game. Maturity matters. That's number seven. Number eight, important relationships. Now, I've already touched on the next two things that I'm going to talk about, which is singleness and children, but I want to pull them here for you to consider because your potential future familial relationships are your highest priorities. And no ministry and no job should sabotage your call to do family well. Let's talk about singleness. Are you going to be single or married as an adult? Huge question. If you're going to marry, your marriage partner cannot receive your leftover time. This goes for the husband and the wife. I realize a girl, oh, a 15-year-old, uh, an 18-year-old lady is writing here, and I understand that, but either way, if this was a, a, a man asking this question here, I'd say the same thing. A job is a vehicle for a greater good. It should not be the primary thing in any person's life. Our jobs subsidize the life that we live, and the life that we live is to glorify God. It does not become the thing. It's a means to help us do the thing, which is to glorify God in all the spheres of life. Too many people make their careers the thing when God told us to pursue him first while he provides the material supplies that we need a job-centered home is a sin-centered home, which applies, again, to the husband and the wife. So that's singleness. What you going to do? Marry, be single. Number two is children. If you plan to marry and want to have children, I will appeal to you to think long and reflectively about the high call of parenting. A spouse's first discipleship call works out in these concentric circles. Number one, counsel or disciple yourself first of all disciple your spouse second of all and then disciple your children third of all your spouse and your children cannot get the remains of your day again this applies to the man and the woman in the home that's number eight important relationships number nine gift mix you're free to be anything you want to be as long as it glorifies god and counts others as more significant than yourself being a woman does not limit your options. Be released. Be free. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it for God's great fame, but God's your heart. Make sure you're working within your gift mix. A burden to be a counselor does not make a good counselor. There are a lot of good people in the Christian community who have a good desire to help from a formalized counseling platform, but they do not have the gifting to do this. To go into counseling is the fullest end of the spectrum and that you must be able to speak into every human condition under the sun because the Bible does. This is not a profession for the timid, the ill-equipped, or the novice. 
In addition to all that I've already said, it takes maturity, wisdom, insight, discernment, intellect, analysis, philosophy, methodology, dexterity, courage, creativity, fearlessness, moral integrity, honesty, faith, skill, and prayer, and more. While every Christian is a counselor, not every Christian can counsel well. Ultimately, is a gift given by God. I'm not implying a two-tier Christianity where some people are more significant or more blessed than others. I'm saying that we all have differing gifts, not the same abilities. The key is to find what you do best and do that thing well. Be open to how the Lord made you rather than trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. It would be essential for you to spend adequate time in the community of others, those who know you well and can see what is required to be a good counselor and whether it's a good fit for you. And then finally, number 10, win, win, W-I-N, W-I-N. If it is possible to experience training in the Bible, you will be a winner. Every person cannot devote the kind of time needed in pursuing a theological and counseling degree because it's not in line with their life course. It's just not possible. If you can pull all these things together to get this kind of training and it does not interfere with the more significant purposes that the Lord is lining up for you, go for it. You may also want to consider our training program. It is self-paced and done entirely through the Internet. The typical time to finish is two to three years, and if you can take a gap year in your high school and college, it may be an excellent way to be assessed through our program. And so the title of this podcast and the article, 10 Things to Know if You Want to Be a Counselor, if you want to chat about this, please go to our website, Let's Talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.